us for Leads us How many of you are familiar with that story or have heard anything about that story? Yeah. Do you think, do you, think you could do that? That's what I kept thinking as I was watching that video. It's like, could I forgive someone that caused me pain like that or financial loss, you know, all of the time uh, that was invested in recovery and then, of course, the suffering. I think about that too. Uh, each of us in this room has been hurt by someone. Um, I, I can say that. I know that for a fact because we're human beings and we hang out with other human beings and that's what happens sometimes. And so hearing this story for me brought this powerful question, I think, to my mind anyway. Are there limits on what you could forgive? Is what I kept thinking this week. I knew I was going to talk about forgiveness. I've kind of had this going now for a little while. And I started thinking, you know, could I forgive the friend or could you forgive the friend that betrayed you? Could you forgive the spouse who was unfaithful? Could you forgive the parent that left you or was disconnected from you emotionally? Could you forgive the business partner or family member who stole something from you? Could you forgive the drunk driver that took the life of a loved one? Could you forgive the leader or person who used their authority to assault someone or to abuse even you or your child? When everything inside you says, I want them to pay, I want them to feel the pain that they caused me, they might cause my children, they cause my friends, the question is, could you forgive? And even now in saying this, I'm watching you guys and I feel it too, this tension rising inside of us as we think about this and we think about if we were faced with those same choices, what we would do. Uh, and the case of really such horrible things. And let me just say that those feelings are normal, okay? Don't feel bad about that. That's, that's how we're made. Uh, we want justice. God put that in us. And when we're wronged, uh, there's something inside of us that says, you know what, that's not right. And that shouldn't be that way. And whoever did this should pay for it. And so we are, we're talking about forgiveness this week. And our definition of forgiveness is finding freedom from the grip of anger using honesty, compassion, and self-awareness to reconcile with someone who has hurt you. And let me tell you guys, if you don't already know this, forgiveness is one of the most difficult aspects of relationships. It is. It's hard. And this really may be one of the most important messages that I've ever shared. And so I just want to warn you ahead of time, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. I'm going to throw a lot of things at you. I know some of you are furious note takers, and it's going to drive you insane. But I will put the notes up. They'll be online. Everything's there, including the references. Uh, if you want to take shots of the slides and all that stuff, that's fine. I love that. But um, if you miss something and you need it, email me and let me know, and I'd be happy to send that to you. I, it's, it's a crucial message, and so I don't want you to be so stressed about getting the information down that you miss what God might want to say or do today. And so forgiveness, here's why. Forgiveness is the key to our futures, guys. It is. Forgiveness is the key to our futures, especially as followers of Jesus. And so lack of forgiveness has caused us, I believe, as the church, but really as people all over this world, to be walking wounded, people walking around. And I believe that lack of forgiveness is one of the things that's holding us back as God's people. And so um, I want to share this quote with you. Again, a lot of what we're going to talk about today comes from this book from Gary Chapman. And he says this, the challenge of living a life of true love is that in this tension, we must offer forgiveness to those who have done us wrong, even as we acknowledge the hurt 
they have caused. Forgiveness is a full pardon. Forgiveness is a canceling of debt. Forgiveness is the release of a heavy burden of resentment and rage that seek to imprison you and me. And at this very moment, you may be bound by the bitterness of not choosing to forgive someone today. That's a possibility. But as disciples of Jesus, he makes it really clear to us that forgiveness is not optional, right? If you don't forgive other people, God will not forgive you. You know, Matthew 6.14, we're mostly familiar with this, I think. But for if, you forgive other, if, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And the thing is, is forgiveness runs wild through the entirety of scripture from beginning to end. Forgiveness is the theme. It's the hope. It's the joy. It's the wonder of everything that God promises us, what God wants to do in our lives, and what God hopes we will do too. Uh, Over and over, of course, we see Yeshua, we see Jesus, right, extending forgiveness to people. That was kind of his thing, right? If if he had a theme, it would be forgiveness, not the song by Don Henley. I just mean forgiveness in general, right? That was his thing. That's what he would do. So over and over, we see him extending this forgiveness to people. Uh, The Lord's Prayer, for example, connects the forgiveness that God gives us with the forgiveness that we extend to other people. Luke 7, Jesus forgave that woman. Remember, she came and she broke that vial of expensive perfume and she washed his feet uh, with that perfume and her tears and everybody around, they were all upset, right? They were astonished at what was happening. You'd let her do that. Obviously, there was something up with her that they knew. And he said, she was forgiven much, so she loves much. And he who is forgiven little loves little. And to me, what that suggests is that forgiveness is even a catalyst for love in other people, that when they're forgiven, that it can spark a love and appreciation, not only for your relationship or your friendship, but even for God. In Matthew 9, Jesus forgives the sins of the paralyzed man and then heals him. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God links forgiveness of sins and the healing of the land or his people. So from cover to cover, the Bible links forgiveness and healing. But I ask this question, I'm like, well, why healing? Like, why is that the component? Forgiveness and healing seem to go hand in hand. Like if they were a pair of gloves, one would be forgiveness and one would be healing. But why healing? I believe it's because a lack of forgiveness results in something in our lives and it's called bitterness. Bitterness is destructive. Harboring bitterness in your heart has severe consequences and bitterness affects your physical, your mental, your emotional, and your spiritual well-being. And if you didn't know, science backs this up. All you have to do is just do a quick Google search, not now, because I did it for you. Do a quick Google search and, uh, with, related to bitterness and health and you will see things like this. Here's just a few headlines. Harboring feelings of bitterness increases the likelihood of physical disease. Bitterness can make you sick. And even the Mayo Clinic gets in on the action. Forgiveness, letting go of grudges and bitterness is the only way to move forward and remain healthy. Hebrews 12, 15 warns us that letting bitterness take root will destroy and that we're supposed to offer grace to all people. So as I was thinking about this this week, I came across the scripture in Ephesians and I'd never really looked at it this way before. I want to share it with you and, and I'm kind of excited because we get to use the NIV and that doesn't happen very often. I'm just kidding. I mean, there it is. But um, So surprise, NIV, just in case you're wondering why it doesn't match your Bible. That's why. So it says here in Ephesians 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, 
rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's something going on in this this passage that I'd never noticed before. And that is there's a cycle or there's a rhythm or a system that's happening uh, in these words the way that they stack up. It's a, I'm calling this the cycle of unforgiveness, and here's how it works. So the first thing it says there is unfor, you know, unforgiveness starts the whole thing, or withholding forgiveness, which is a refusal to let go. And when you do that, if you keep doing that, it leads to bitterness. And that means that resentment takes this root inside of you, and it begins to grow. And then if you allow that to continue, that can result often in rage and anger, which is the unresolved feelings that result in this extreme emotion. And so that can kind of manifest itself in a lot of ways, Uh, like outbursts, like all of a sudden you're just edgy and you have these outbursts all the time with people, even people that you love. Or maybe it's even physical violence, not necessarily against a person, but like you're punching the wall or, or, you know, you're just constantly like just wanting to hit something. If you let that continue, that rage and anger, it will lead to slander. And basically, this is one of the results of that unforgiveness. The unresolved anger towards that person begins to manifest itself in that, the way that you talk about that person. And all of a sudden, uh, you're not just telling people the story, but maybe you're embellishing the story. You're adding to it. And as we learned a few months ago when we talked about Lashon Harar, the idea of the evil tongue, we're supposed to be people that speak words of life about everyone, right? And not words of death. So even in sharing that information with other people to make that person look lesser or bad is not what we're called to do as believers. So that slander continues and and it goes and all the other things are stacking and they're compounding. And finally, we get to malice, which means that we begin to act with the intent to do harm. And sometimes this can just be verbal. Sometimes we can do things to malign the person's character. And there's two results of this malice. Because some of us are the people that hold it in, right? No one may ever know, although I would suggest they probably do. But you have this anger inside and you want to act out on this anger. What you do, you just hold it in. I'm I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm just going to internalize it. And the result of that type of malice that starts with unforgiveness is self-harm. You start to maybe even loathe yourself or think less of yourself or not viewing yourself the way that you should in God's eyes. And even more so than that, you have uh, self-destructive tendencies that can come with that. Anger and bitterness can lead to self-destruction, drinking and all kinds of things where you're in these places and you're doing things to just numb yourself and make the pain go away because you're internalizing this malice. The other result can be that you let it out, right? You start actually harming people. Uh, You loathe other people. You start to destroy things or maybe even try to destroy people. And neither of those things are good, right? And what happens when we get to this stage or when we're caught up in any of these stages is that it will impede all of our relationships. You start to become a person that other people don't really enjoy being around. Your family may love you, but they're like, what in the world is going on with you? You've got to get this figured out. And then the result can often be passing on your brokenness to other people, especially your children. Most of you guys are familiar with the author, Donald Miller. He wrote a fantastic book called To Own a Dragon, Reflections on Growing Up Without a Father. And even if you had a great family and a great dad, I invite you to read this book because I think it will give you a perspective on what much of our country in particular is dealing with right now and the epidemic of fatherlessness that's happening. But one of the stories that he tells in this book is uh, 
there's some poachers come into this uh, game reserve and they take out all of these male elephants because they want their tusks for the ivory, right? And so what ends up happening as a result of this is you have all of these baby elephants, which is really sad, who are orphaned. They don't have dads, particularly these male elephants. So the researchers say, you know what? We have this other preserve over here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all these baby boy elephants and we're going to put them over here on this reserve and just let them have the land and it's going to be great for everybody. It'll be fantastic and they can grow up there. Ah! Right? Everybody's happy. Okay? You still with me? Just making sure. So there they are. Ah! They're all happy. I can't do it very well right now. I need a drink. Hang on. This is important. There we go. Okay, baby elephants. So that was really stupid. Uh, anyway, so you've got these baby elephants and they take them to this preserve and you're like, oh, this is amazing, happy ending. Well, actually it wasn't a happy ending because here's what happened. They released them on this land and all of a sudden all of these other animals started to turn up dead. And we're not talking just like gazelles and stuff. We're talking like rhinos, like animals that can handle themselves. Rhinos are the best, by the way. Anyway. So the researchers are like, what in the world is going on? And what they started to observe is that all of these little young male elephants were ganging up on all these animals and just maliciously and just mean, they were taking them out. They would go to the water hole and elephants that are supposed to be friends with rhinos, right? The rhinos are like, oh, I'm going to get a drink. And then all the elephants would just come in on him. And so the researchers are like, what in the world is going on? And what they discovered through this whole thing is that these fatherless elephants did not know how to behave. They were aimless and they were angry and all of these things were happening inside of them and they didn't know how to handle it because they'd never been taught. And so the researchers brought in several adult male elephants from the other reserve. And of course the dads came in and straightened everything out, right? Like immediately, it was like, listen, you are not going to be doing that anymore, right? That's exactly what happened. And Everybody was happy, and they lived happily ever after. And they're probably alive still now, just so that you're happy. So, <laughs> right? Actually, some of them probably are. Elephants live a long time. And elephants are very intelligent, too. I think that there's a correlation here. This is why I'm telling this story. I think there's a correlation with what happens inside of us and how we can pass on our pain and our hurt, even just by not being in the picture with our kids. We, guys, are created to love God and love other people, and so a lack of forgiveness makes this impossible. If we withhold forgiveness, it's going to impede our relationship, not just with other people, but it is going to impede our relationship with God. Matthew 6, 14, again, when we refuse to forgive, it does impede our relationship with God. Lack of forgiveness and bitterness in our marriages, men, blocks our prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7. Seriously, go home and read that. If you're not treating your wife with the respect and honor that she's due and taking care of her the way that you should, the picture that it gives is that your prayers are just bouncing off the clouds. When we refuse to forgive, it hinders our ability to worship, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 9, 35 says that our forgiveness, in that great story where Peter's asking Jesus, how many times he has to forgive, right? And Peter ups it to seven because the tradition then was if you would forgive three times and you were like really awesome. And so Peter's like, so should I forgive seven then? Like wanting the gold star. And Jesus is like, actually, seven times 70. How about that many? Mark or Matthew nine thirty-five. Our forgiveness should be limitless. 
C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Asking the father to forgive the people who were killing him was one of the very last things that Jesus did. In Luke 23, verse 41. And here's the thing. Then he's resurrected and one of the first things he does in Mark 16 is he's looking for Peter specifically so that he can forgive him for denying him three times. So obviously forgiveness is important to God. It should be important to us. So the question always is, okay, that's fantastic. How do I do it? How do I forgive people? Well, most of us know this, but just in case, let's walk through it. The need for forgiveness starts when something goes wrong, right? When a wrong is committed, somebody, a brother or a sister or a friend or a spouse, someone treats us unjustly. And as a result, we're hurt and we're angry and we feel like our sense of right has been violated. Okay, so that's how it starts. There's an offense that's been committed. And our first response, our first response, according to scripture at least, is clear. We are to rebuke the person that wronged us. And rebuke is a churchy word that we don't really use a lot, although I think we should bring it back. It should just be, we should just be throwing it around all the time. You know, rebuke stuff at Starbucks, that'd be great. I don't know. Anyway, our first response is clear. We're supposed to rebuke that person. And what that word simply means, if you get down to its root, is this, that we're supposed to place a weight upon that person, basically bringing the matter to their attention, that this happened. We rebuke the person, we place the weight of this issue upon them, and of course, my suggestion is that maybe we take a few moments to cool down first. The, the rebuke doesn't have to come immediately after the offense. Sometimes maybe taking a little walk around the block first before you bring that up might be a good plan. A few deep breaths, something like that. Before we confront the person, scripture says, in love, right? We confront them in love. And so however many laps around the block it takes you to get to love, that's how many you need to take, right? And then you go to that person and you bring it up and you say, listen, you did this and it hurt me and I just wanted you to understand that. Proverbs 10, here's why love is important. It's because love covers all offenses, okay? So if we can get to that place where we are coming to that person in a loving manner, the odds are that that's gonna go a lot better uh, than otherwise. Here's the thing. Right now at this very moment, I would even... I would suggest that even within this room, there are people that have never taken the step to make the issue known to the person that's offended them. Right now, sitting in here, I bet there are some of us, we've been offended by people and we've never ever taken that step to make the issue known with them. We've just held on to it. And so that results in our lives being shaped by unforgiveness when the offender is completely unaware, right? Right? They have no idea. They have no, and, and frankly, in many of those situations, it might be a deal where you, just by you letting them know that they would be really distraught as your friend or as someone that used to be in your life or whatever, that, that you never even brought that up with them. So we have to take that step. Authentic love requires us to show respect for the other person in spite of what he or she has done. And so when we love, what we do is we confront that other person with, here, make a list, gentleness, truth, and then an offer of forgiveness. So even when you go to the person to let them know, you can let them know, hey, I want to offer you forgiveness, but you've hurt me. We confront because we do not want any further harm to come to that relationship. 
We value the relationship, right? It's all about relationship with God and with other people. And so if you realize that you've harmed someone, then the onus is on you to take initiative. And so, of course, the goal there is to always seek a swift reconciliation with the person that you've offended. Or even if you think you may have offended someone, it goes a long way to take that first step and speak with them. And of course, all of these things lead to the next step. Because in reality, when someone comes to us asking for forgiveness, depending on what the situation is, or maybe they don't come to us and ask for forgiveness, it's still a challenge. It's still difficult. And so uh, I came across something this week that I felt like was really good and I wanted to share with you. It comes from Dr. Stephen Marmer. He's at the UCLA Medical School. And in this video, he identifies three types of forgiveness. And I'd never really heard it put this way before, but I feel like this is biblical the way that he describes it. Forgiveness is transformative in our lives. And I think this is especially true with people that we care about the most, with our family, with our friends, uh, with our coworkers, people that we hang out with, our business associates, the people that we have to do life with every day. I mean, because the odds are, right, that even just based on proximity and the amount of time we spend with them, odds are a lot higher that somebody's going to hurt somebody, right? And so we want to know how we deal with these things and how uh, we can approach them in love. And so he describes three types of forgiveness, And these are kind of big words, but we'll talk about them. Exoneration, forbearance, and release. And again, in my notes, the link to this video if you want to watch it for yourself. So let's look at that first one. Exoneration is probably what comes to mind for you. Maybe not that word, but the type of forgiveness that comes to mind for you when we talk about forgiveness at all. And exoneration, uh, in my opinion, is simply mercy. It's wiping the slate entirely clean and restoring a relationship to the full state of innocence that it had before the harmful actions took place. Now, there's a few common uh, situations where this would apply. And there's a reason that there's three different ones that we're talking about. So the, the first case would be you realize you've been offended or you've been harmed or you've been hurt, but you realize that uh, the action was just an accident. It was unintentional and there's actually no fault to be assigned. It's just something that happened, right? It's just, it, for whatever reason, things played out the way that they did and it's just something that happened. And so in that case, you would want to offer mercy or exoneration to that person. Uh, the second one would be this. The person that caused you harm uh, didn't understand the hurt that they were causing. And one a great example of this would be a child, right? For the parents that are out there. Your child does something or they say something that causes you harm. And it's not, the child didn't understand. Maybe they didn't understand the ramifications of, of what they were saying or how they were saying or whatever they were doing. And of course, that's an awesome teaching moment for you as a parent to address that. But when it comes to a child, or maybe it's a person that you have loving feelings towards, but they just didn't, they simply just didn't understand the situation as it was laid out. And so, you have the option, and you should, I think, forgive. But there's some steps that, that need to still happen, and, and here's what they are. Uh, in this case, the person who hurt you, number one, is truly sorry. And I think especially with our kids, when mom or dad brings that to their attention, you really hurt me with this. I mean, man, that melts a kid's heart. Like, you know, I've been that kid, right? It's like, oh, dude, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> right, you're like all sad. So the first step in this thing is there's, there's sorrow. They're, they're sorry for what they've done. The second one is this, that they take full responsibility without excuses for what they did. And that's a key component there, without excuses. Like, I did it, I'm sorry, and yes, you're right, I did it. I take responsibility for that. The third thing 
and this might be the biggest challenge, I think, is that they ask for forgiveness. And I think especially in this country, and I've even, you know, of course I've been studying for this for a while, but I've been paying a lot of attention to speech and how I speak to others and how others speak to me. And one of the things that I'm realizing is that we say I'm sorry a lot, but we rarely say, will you forgive me? That's so important. The forgiveness component is so important because what it does is it puts it to rest for the two people. There's a request And then there's a resolution to the request. And then the last step in that, after they've asked for forgiveness, is they give you full confidence that they are not going to knowingly repeat their bad action, right? And and listen, it happens. We are all in process. We are imperfect. And it may. It may happen a lot. But the point is, is that that you know that that person's trying. It's like, you know, I will not do it again. I, I promise I will try as hard as I can not to do that thing again. And in that case, when those things are there, it's essential that you accept that apology and that you offer them complete forgiveness. And here's why. Because you will feel better and they will feel better. And if a relationship is what the most important part of this is, this is why we forgive, then we need to feel better about this situation. And Dr. Marmer talks about this. He says, uh, not to offer forgiveness in these circumstances would be harmful to your own well-being. And it might even suggest that there's something more wrong with you than with the person who caused you pain. So that's, in a nutshell, uh, exoneration. And so next we go to forbearance. And forbearance is this. Forbearance is choosing to preserve the relationship by taking a patient attitude. It means ceasing from the full reparation or action that you are due because of the offense. And so forbearance applies maybe when the offender makes a partial apology. Or maybe they mix their apology with a little bit of, uh, and somehow you caused this to happen. (laughs) Right? We love that. Especially when our kids do that, right? It's like, well, I'm sorry, but it's your fault, right? (laughs) It's like, "Eh, hang on a second. Maybe they mix their apology with blame that you somehow caused them to behave badly. Or maybe they offer an apology, but it's kind of conditional and maybe it doesn't seem uh, very authentic. And listen, if somebody says that you may have been at fault or involved in why they chose to do something, I think it's always good to take a step back and consider if that's true. I think that, that as adults, as mature believers, we should do that. We should definitely take a step, step back and think, okay, did, uh, did I have anything to do with this? But regardless of whether you did or not, if the relationship matters to you, you should practice forbearance. And so forgiveness in this case simply means choosing not to dwell on that particular offense. And so what that means is you no longer hold that offense against the person. You do away with the grudges or maybe the fantasies of revenge or hoping they're going to get theirs, right? But you also retain a degree of watchfulness. Right? It's not just saying, okay, sure, yeah, walk all over me. That's fantastic. I love it. I'm your mother after all. Right? No. You retain this degree of watchfulness. It's similar to the idea of trust but verify. Forbearance is a way that we can set boundaries but maintain ties to people who aren't perfect but they're still important to you. And guess what? You're not perfect either, right? None of us are. And so it's a way to set boundaries. And here's the thing. If there's a consistent pattern of good behavior, like if the person says, I'm not going to do this, and they're kind of weird and kind of sorry, but they're kind of not, but then the end result is that that person rebuilds trust, that forbearance can actually rise to exoneration where you wipe the slate clean. 
<laughs> wipe the slate clean. There we go. Wipe the slate queen. <laughs> Elmer Fudd mode there. I don't know what that was. Seriously, though, this is what we would often see in a case of infidelity, where maybe a husband or a wife has cheated on the other person. Uh, you know, it isn't just a, hey, come on back in home, everything is fine. Uh, trust has to be rebuilt and boundaries have to be established. That's important. And so forbearance might be an example of that. And so some of the other cases, maybe for example, that this would apply, some of the more challenging ones, and he mentions, uh, the doctor mentions that these are the ones that come into his practice where he applies this, but it's difficult. Uh, adult survivors of child abuse or business people who maybe have been cheated by their partners or friends or relatives who betrayed one another. And so those are the first two, but then you come to the question, well, what if the person that's offended you is gone. Like, what if they're out of the picture? You don't have contact with them. Or even worse, what if that person has died? What if that person is no longer living? How do you reconcile this situation where there's, uh, there's forgiveness that needs to be had, there's an apology that needs to be made, and it's just simply impossible? What do you do? That's where we get to our third one. There's even still a solution, and it is uh, known as release. And release means that your past hurts and bad feelings no longer define your life. Releases the choice to let go of your preoccupation with the negative things that have happened to you. Now, I want to be clear. Release does not absolve the offender from wrongdoing. It doesn't uh, wish it away or say that it was right or, or, or gloss over it in any manner at all. Uh, nor does it require forbearance. And it doesn't even demand that you continue the relationship if that person's still around. Uh, sometimes we need boundaries in our lives and and if a person continually hurts you, sometimes there's a boundary that needs to be made there. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, God would not want us to continually submit ourselves to any type of abuse. And I think for a long time within the church, we've been counseled the opposite. And so I want to apologize for that right now. I feel like the church hasn't stepped up to do the things that it should in protecting and uplifting and encouraging people. And so this should be a place that's safe for everyone. And so in this case... What we're doing when we release this person is that we are letting go of them and we're letting God deal with the situation. And there's more to it than that because release does something that's critically important. It allows you to take this burden that's weighing you down, that's eating at your soul and robbing you of your chance for happiness and it lets go. If you do not release that pain and that anger, you will continually allow the people who have hurt you to live rent-free in your mind. And listen, real estate is a limited quantity up here for me, okay? I don't know about you, but for me it is. And so releasing people doesn't allow them to have that impact and effect on your life. And listen, forgiveness isn't being a doormat. It's releasing the power that another has over you. And so when the other forms, forgiveness like exoneration, right? For those other forms of forgiveness, exoneration and forbearance, if they're not possible, what release does is it frees you from the oppression of living in that traumatic past, whatever that event was or that thing was. And here's the other thing, guys. Forgiveness isn't a weakness. I think we've been given this picture that, again, we become doormats when we forgive people. But the truth of the matter is, forgiveness takes strength. And the ability to forgive is one of the greatest strengths that we have.
you and I, we can choose, right? We can choose not to forgive. But when we do, what we're doing is we're agreeing to be enslaved to the hurt of our pasts. That's what we're doing. We're saying, you know, I'm just going to stay here. And we're choosing to drag a weight around into every future situation and relationship. So for all of us, forgiveness is a choice. In our video, right, Victoria Rubelo, she had every right to be angry. I mean, wouldn't you have been angry? If you go online and you watch the full story, she'd just gotten like her life back on track as far as these things that had happened to her. And she'd had uh, people in her life in the past, uh, her brothers that had died really young. She was walking wounded and she'd just gotten on track with her health and she was working out every day and all these different things were happening. And she would like, it was, life was good for her and then this thing happened. And yet she had the ability to look at this situation and see the opportunity to love in this situation. She had been given a chance to live another day. And so she believed that the best outcome would result from sharing the grace that she'd been given. But here's the thing. There were still consequences to that young man's actions, right? Did you notice that? It wasn't like he just got to walk. They were lenient with him. And that's an important thing for us to remember. When we've wounded or wronged someone, the responsibility falls on us to make it right. And here's an example. Like, let's say that uh, you, when your kids grew up, you, you were just weren't around. You were either emotionally unavailable, uh, you weren't in the picture, maybe you divorced or whatever, and you just did not spend any time with them. You can go to those kids and you can apologize for what happened. And you can say, I'm sorry. And they can forgive you. But the truth of the matter is there will still be consequences to your actions, right? It doesn't change the past, but what it does is it sets you up for a better future, maybe building a relationship with those children. And so that would apply uh, in other places in our lives too. The New Testament, of course, gives us all kinds of instruction for how a brother or a sister can go and make things right. But we have to remember that uh, these were letters to churches and they were all written in this context of these churches having mature believers that were gonna be there and be a part of this whole thing. This, the, like people with the same ideals were basically agreeing to these things and how they were gonna settle things when someone had wronged another person. And so the writers assumed that there would be spiritually mature men and women to mediate the discussion and determine the proper restitution, which basically means payment or uh, the thing that would settle the situation. Uh, a great example would be like uh, there are Jewish stories of a cow falling uh, into a ditch, a neighbor's cow falling into someone's ditch because of something that they did. And so helping the cow out of the ditch isn't just enough, right? You have to go to that neighbor, you have to apologize, but then you also have to make restitution. What did he lose? Did he just lose the cow? Did he lose... You know, all the things that that cow provides for a year. And so there is an idea here sometimes in forgiveness where a restitution has to be made. And we don't talk about that enough either. But these writers assumed that this would be taken care of within their community. And that's why they lay out the rules of the way that they do. So what do we do? Because lots of times these things don't happen within a church, right? You're hurt. Something happens at work. Uh, you're out in the world and somebody offends. Like all of these different things can happen. What do we do when it happens outside the church? Maybe it's in a working relationship. Maybe it's in a friendship. How do you settle that? How do you settle that when maybe that person doesn't adhere even to the same beliefs that you do? You might flip open to a part of the New Testament and they just point and laugh or something, you know, right? I don't know. I'm just saying that the New Testament writers had some plans and some rules. So what do we do when maybe those rules don't seem to apply? Well, Paul and Peter and all these other New Testament writers we have to remember that these are men and women that lived lives changed by God, 
right? And not just change, transform. Think about who Paul was compared to who Paul ended up being. Think about Peter, the guy that denied Jesus three times, and then all of a sudden he's busting out this sermon, and thousands of people are hearing it, and they're just throwing their lives at the feet of the Messiah. These guys knew something, and it was this we're forgiven, so we should do likewise. Sometimes forgiveness can be the best example of Jesus that we could be to other people. Jesus himself said that we should seek peace and extend forgiveness to other people. And this can be complicated, right? Especially, again, if you've got people that have different values uh, than you do or maybe different priorities. But how we handle this situation, I believe, can go a long way to showing the love of Jesus to other people. Because holding on to unforgiveness only hurts you. And so I'm going to try and show you uh, illustration of this. And I've asked Josh if he will come and help me with this. So let's say there's been something that's happened in Josh and I's relationship. Let's say Josh said I looked funny or whatever it was. He, he, he offended me, okay? Josh offended me. He, uh, he hurt my feelings. Uh, or maybe it was something more serious than that. Well, whatever the deal is, He's broken the trust in our relationship, okay? And I'm offended. And so, Josh may be aware of this, but maybe Josh isn't aware of this, okay? It could work either way. And so, I become upset. And rather than going to Josh and confronting him in love, I just get upset. And I just get angry. And I just get bitter. And I was like, you know what? Listen, you know what's right here, dude. Let me tell you. You hurt me. And of course, I'm not telling this to him himself. I'm telling it to myself. This guy hurt me. And I'm not going to let him stand for it. And I'm not going to ever, ever let it go. I'm just going to hold on to Josh. And I'm going to hold on to this bitterness. And I'm going to keep it inside. And so I become upset. I don't confirm in love. I don't choose to reconcile. I don't choose to forgive him. And in effect, what I'm doing is I'm binding up in this chain. I'm thinking to myself, I've got you. And I'm not letting you go until you apologize. Until you make this right. Until you realize what a jerk you've been to me. And so I'm saying this, of course. I'm waiting for my apology all day long. But here's the thing. So here I am chained to to Josh, waiting for something to happen. And meanwhile, I try to move on in my relationships. Okay, that's not working out so great. You know what? I'm going to go over here and I'm just going to move on in my relationship with God. Okay, fine. I'm just going to move on in ministry then. I'll just do that and I'll just be all, all over that. And listen. I may be able to actually pull this, like I may be able to pull this weight for a little while, but I'm always going to be burdened by it. I'm always going to be held back by it. There's never going to be a time that I don't feel the tug of this weight holding on to me. But here's the thing, I don't have to live this way. I don't have to, this, I mean, the truth of the matter is with all of this, this baggage that I'm holding on to, this unforgiveness, I've got all this unforgiveness and all I have to do is this, let go. I just have to let go. Thank you, Josh. By the way, I love you. You've not offended me in any way that I know of, right? (laughs) So we have to let go, guys. And here's the thing. I found this quote, Lewis Louis B. Smeads, who's an author, here's what he said. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And even as I tell this and I talk about it, 
I'll bet that there are people that are coming to your mind, situations that are coming to your mind, things that have held you back in the past. A few weeks ago, we sang, your grace is enough, right? Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough, right? You guys were into it. I know you were. Some of you, your grace is enough for me. Luke Davis does that in the back row, just so you know. <laughs> Do we believe that's true? Do you ever think about the things that you're singing as we worship God and we're reflecting his words back to him? If we believe that his grace is enough for us, then we have to believe that his grace is enough for everyone. And so when we withhold grace and mercy from other people, what we're saying in effect is we don't believe that's true. Your grace is just enough for me, not for him, right? It's a whole different song. When we withhold grace and mercy, we're saying, I don't believe that this is true. And maybe that's your struggle today. Maybe you can't even think about forgiving others right now because you struggle to believe that God can even forgive you. Or maybe that God even wants to have anything to do with you at all today. Pastor Bill, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the pain and the hurt that I've caused. I keep messing up. I keep making bad choices. And you know what? I don't even believe that God cares about me. Why would he? What have I done for him? Maybe you're struggling today to forgive yourself. Forgiveness from God, forgiving other people, and forgiving ourselves, all three of those com these components are so important, guys. Well, the good news is, John gives us an answer in 1 John 1, 7, and here's what he says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you got here today, whether you came willingly or whether you were drugged here by someone. It doesn't matter what you're holding on to right now. It doesn't matter who you're chained to right now. There's nothing that God desires more than to have a relationship with you. That is his primary directive. That's what all of scripture is about. He wants a relationship with us. But the first step to that relationship is forgiveness. And no matter what you've done, God wants to forgive you. And the steps are the same as we talked about earlier. When we come to God and we confess what we've done and we pledge to turn away from it, scripture says that he blots it out completely. And I love that because it doesn't say he erases it because you guys know, right? When you erase something on paper, you still see like all the little marks that were there and you got all the crumbs that are on the paper from that. 
Blotting something out is completely different, and I think it has to do with the blood of Jesus because when you blot something out, it's like God takes this bottle of ink and he just dumps it on there. Like all the offenses, all of the hardness, all of the things that we've done, the people that we've hurt, all of those things. And again, there may be consequences like in the world for some of that stuff, but as far as God's concerned, he's like, listen, relationship with me is easy. All you have to do is you turn away from that stuff. You confess it and you say, I want relationship with you and I'm sorry, God. And he blots it out. And so he doesn't see little marks or little lines or eraser crumbs. What he sees is that it is covered. It's covered. You and I mean so much to God that even when we were living in our offenses and we did not know him, even when we were enemies, the scripture says, still he loved us and sought to restore relationship with us. We are the lost sheep in the story where Jesus is going out and looking for the one. It's us. It's me. It's you. We're also the wretch that that one song is about that he saved. It's us. It's you. It's me. His desire is that we would be defined by our relationship with him, guys. Not our sin, not our pain, not our brokenness, not our bitterness. What would it look like if the church could do this, if we could do this, if we could live this way? If we weren't walking wounded everywhere that we went, but we could just simply embrace people and love and forgive them and show that in our lives. And here's the thing. Even with all these steps, I realize hard things have happened. And within our own power to forgive, it's not going to happen. But with God, all things are possible, Scripture says. When we walk in the light as followers of Jesus and, and, and through this forgiveness, we're promised that God's Spirit will be with us, right? That, it, that that Spirit will empower our lives through the forgiveness that he offers us as his children. So may you and I be men and women who refuse to be defined by our pasts. May we seek peace and forgive as we've been forgiven. 